Say that podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I love technology. <laughs> good, that's good. Are you just you're in front of a computer? Are you just pointing at things in the office and saying you love them? That's right. Okay. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Glenn, do you love technology or are you in love with technology? Those are two different things. Uh, I, 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 you know, I like like it. Okay. Wow. Do you want to hold hands with it on the bus? That's right. Okay. Also doing this all day at Mercury Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Union Church, Lee Younger. Glenn, if you love technology so much, why don't you marry it? Yeah. Uh, I did romance when it was analog. <laughs> you did do analog <laughs> romance. Analog romance. You could really you could really hear the vinyl. Yeah. In exactly. back in those you feel days. the warmth. The you warm can feel hum. the warmth. The vintage warmth. Yes, absolutely. Right. Well, that makes us out of Clarence Emergency. Wow. Wow, that's okay. Like, there was like a mountain range echo on that one. Yeah, that's it. Glenn does just for himself. It's a reverb effect. Uh, we got an emergency, y'all. Okay. Uh, Something happened? Things are changing. Okay. Uh, it's a fact. It's a solid fact. And I think we may have mentioned this on the social medias. Yeah. No, it's the socials media. It's like attorneys general. Oh, I oh, see. Okay. Yes. Uh, we, we, we are now appearing on... Uh, a secular rock radio station here in Chicago. That is true. And uh, and we're saying uh, lovely things about Jesus on the secular rock radio station. Yeah, playing uh, the, crunchy tunes. This this week we uh, the the song lead in for us was uh, the Smashing Pumpkins, Bullet yeah. with Butterfly Wings. Yeah. yeah. So that was and then, uh, and then us. And then us, yeah. which uh, seemed like a long ways down. Yeah. Has Jed been telling people for the last couple of days that Billy Corrigan opened for him? Maybe. Yes. That's right. Is that technically correct? Also, <laughs> yes. But here's the thing with that. I yes. mean, it's it's essentially what we're doing on the, the radio station is what we're doing on the show in many respects. Right, very, absolutely. Very similar format and whatnot. Uh, but it's it's rock. It is rock. That it is true. It's rock-oriented. Yeah. Yeah, Q that's, Rock 100.7, rocking the Southland. Yeah. That's right. And um, not the Skinnerd kind of Southland. They mean South Chicago. Yeah. Right. Uh, so as a result, yes, I now identify as very rock. Okay. Okay. Question. How's that? How's that impacting your life so far? First of all, I refuse to give in to the jackbooted thugs of the administration. Okay. In Was the, that the any particular administration? Ma- management yeah. trying to keep you down. You're keep, rebelling. I'm trying. Look, I, we got a creative vision, man. Yeah. And we're not going to let them. Uh, now, you know. now, Glenn, you are the uh, founder, president, and owner of the organization you work for. So, right. how does that kind of play into rebelling against your superiors well you know it's like uh the you know like the station yeah people yeah mm-hmm. i'm not gonna let them dictate what and, and hold us back they actually man. haven't given us any notes we yeah. turned it away file and they played it un unedited unmessed with yeah well uh, uh you know 
uh, rock and roll man. Okay, that's sure, good. Sure, that's yeah, good. that's good. That's a good place to start. You know, first of all, like you know how the famous rock musicians they uh, trash a hotel room. Sure, of course. Right. You know, like uh, what it was a Keith Moon. Yeah, he's famous for that. The Who. You threw a TV through a window yeah. into, into a pool. Lots of young people googling right now. Yep. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, uh, he's probably died before your parents were were around. Yes, almost certainly. Uh, but rock and roll, yeah, totally rock okay. and roll. I think we should trash the studio where we record the the you know the the show to show them how rock and roll we are. Okay, well that's a brilliant idea. I feel like there may be just one minor kind of niggling concern that maybe we might want to look at. Right. Okay. It, this is actually your house. Where we record the show. Yeah, it's like we're in yeah. your basement right now. So yeah. there's a th- that's where the studio is. So yeah. it would be hard to trash the studio without the, the house being trashed. Yeah. Yeah. Jane well, Jane might not like that. Yeah. It would really knock the uh, rock and rollness out of it if Keith Moon had to clean up his mess. Right. <laughs> which we certainly would. Right, 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 right. Well, uh, he, here's a here's another thing. Yes, I'm thinking of growing my hair out. Okay, because that's okay. the only rock and roll. You sure, absolutely. Hair. Yeah, have, for the head banging and whatnot. Right, that's right. The problem is, uh, I have uh, I'm what you call follically challenged. <laughs> sure. Okay. Now, what happened is, I used to have hair on the top yeah. of my head, but then I became very spiritual. Okay. Okay. So what happens is you start praying, right? And you pray really hard. Yeah. Well, they're going. Where are they going? They're going from your brain up to heaven. Sure, absolutely. Okay? Yeah. What's happening is the hair is getting in the way. Okay. So eventually, the hair fell out because of the intense prayer. Action. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> sure, yes. that's exactly the way that works. So if I grow your my move, science. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, here's what's happening. I'll grow my hair out, but it's it's basically going to be. Uh, just in the back, right? Okay, now I know you're what talking you're about a skullet. So I'm going to be rocking the skullet now. Okay, sure. well you know what? If it, if the skullet makes you happy, yeah, I salute you and I commend you. Yeah, put, just put it in a ponytail and rock on. I think it's great. I think so, it's great. Uh, but uh, but I'm open to other suggestions on on how to be more rock, how to embrace the rock lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you definitely you need a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm surprised you're mm-hmm. not wearing one right now. Well, I am in my heart. Oh, you have you have a heart leather jacket. Yep, that's right. <laughs> rock, rock and roll. Well, I think we've got to look at. Can we have pyrotechnics as part yes. of this podcast? You got to have pyrotechnics. What do they call them? Flash pots. Yeah, you got to pla- flash pots. Absolutely. Okay, no, you let, don't let have t- to. Let me tell you what else. Tell me. Fog machine. Yes. Tell me this studio would not be radically improved by <laughs> having a fog machine. You know it would. So, you know it would. Well, the I thing is, see how that's true. Is that I'm being skyped into this conversation, so right. The, if there was a fog machine, it would only make it more impossible for me to interact with you guys. I would be able to be be able to interact less. That's what the fog yeah. machine would result in. So what you're saying is what you really need is to have your own fog machine. Yes. And then you'd have sort of the fog going on both sides yeah, of the recording. Exactly That's right. similar yeah. to what I was saying. Well, those fog machines are tough to sync up, though. They That's can the be. They can part, be. You know, That's a technical so. challenge. Lynn's answer to everything is just more fog machines. All right. <laughs> I, I got another one. Two words. I'm a float. If it. this doesn't work for you, you send it right back. All right. But I think this may really kick it up a notch. Leather pants. 
Wow. Okay. Gonna, gonna send that one back. <laughs> you feel you feel what I'm saying? Absolutely that's a, not. That's a that's a big commitment. Uh, yeah, it is. But dude, <laughs> let's go all the way with this. I think we would need some form of a talcum situation <laughs> to get into. You're saying the buy leather. stock and gold bond? Because you also, can't. Have... Are you gonna have to make a commitment off French fries just for the leather pants? Oh yeah. Well, because you. Oh, it's uh, a whole lifestyle. For some reason, I don't think you can have baggy leather, leather pants. pants. Sure, <laughs> they have to be pretty much tight. Yeah, or that's not really the <laughs> purpose, you know. I love the idea of just jet black, full on leather pants, but they're pleated, right. <laughs> sans about waist, right, and just right. a nice roomy cut. That's right. That's right. Dockers, uh, leather chinos. pants, and and hitched up uh, under exactly my armpits. Right. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Elastic uh, waistband. That's right. No doubt. That's right. Well, but, I think. I think we're having some trouble with this. Okay. Yeah, it's connecting just, to the rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. I, I well, would, I, well let's, in fairness, we're new. That's yeah, true. We are new. Well, that's an excellent point, and it brings exactly what I want to talk to, because um, uh, Glenn, Jed, and Lee have all at some point been practicing gigging musicians. Right. Right. And through, with various levels of rocking involved that's, in certain types of music. That's right. And they all have stories of trying to be rock and roll and maybe it not being that awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to queue up two. Jed, I'd love for you, you and Glenn, because Glenn loves this story. Oh, yes. To tell the, the uh, green room. Sure. The House of oh, Blues. Oh, man, that makes me so And then happy. we're going to go to the opposite of the House of Blues. I'm going to give Lee time to get the story out of his mind. <laughs> I'd love to go to the bullpen. Oh, gosh. <laughs> in one Maryville, Tennessee. And I'm I'm going to paint for the listener a nice picture of why this may not be the best the best group at really embracing those rock and roll dreams. Right. That's but right. just in the real quickness, Glenn and Jed take us House of Blues, Chicago, Illinois. Okay. In the green room. So here it is. So in the United States, there's a there's a conservation a series of them called House of Blues. It's pretty well known. A lot of fairly big touring bands play there. And uh, if you recall, a few years ago with the iTunes commercials, and they always had some quirky, you know, indie pop song playing. So a, a, a gal whose song was, you know, one of the big iTunes songs was was touring, and my buddy was opening for her, and I was kind of his backup guitar player. So we're over at the House of Blues, and uh, when you play at concert venues, particularly uh, nicer ones, they have an area called a green room where artists can hang out backstage. It's kind of your right. own you know, private area and whatnot. It's really rock and roll. It's super rock and roll to have a green room. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're hanging in the green room, and uh, I had invited Glenn to come back with me, um, and, which... Uh, <laughs> which is already not living the rock and roll lifestyle. That's, yeah, the, the, the rock and roll died when I entered the room as the old man. When your yeah. plus one is another middle-aged dude. <laughs> um, so we we have because it's a nice place and a nice venue. We actually have like a private waitress who right, comes back right. and takes you know food orders and yeah. drink orders and whatnot. And you say you know get you anything you want. You know it's all on the house. Whatnot. Well, I'm not particularly hungry, and uh, you know I, I'm not I'm not looking really to, to have a hard drink or anything. But um, I I will drink my body weight in diet coke. Um, right. which it turns out is actually not good for you either. But, no. uh, but, uh, I've, I've already finished what they had in the mini fridge back there. And she said, you know, can I get you anything at all? And I'm going to let Glenn take the story from here. Cause he really relishes this. So here's the thing about Jed that you need to know is Jed is an extremely polite person. Right. He's a well-mannered person. That's actually true. He's a Southern raised, very polite person. And the furthest thing from like, I'm a rock and roll. I'm a big deal. Yeah, I'm a big deal. Yeah. So she comes back and says, can, can I get you anything? Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. And, no, really. Anything you want. You know, don't be shy and whatever. And the, Jed gets a look on his face like, you know what? It's my moment. I have a right. You know, yeah. I am, you know, an artist. I am a big and, deal. Uh, you know what? 
Uh, you know what? I would really like if it, you know a little bit of diet coke. Yeah, that's more diet what, coke. That's what I would like. <laughs> you know, if you give me my choice of anything, that's what I want. And he said it in the vein of you know maybe some Chattanooga pop or yeah. some some Cristal or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's my. He, he was seizing the moment. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, well, okay. She right. wanders off, comes back, <laughs> and she she says, "We've got diet coke." It's 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 warm. It's yeah. not it's not been refrigerated. You can have that if you want. Yeah. And Je- and it was immediately Jed went all the way back to original Jed and said, "No, water's fine. It's fine. Yeah, water's yeah, it's, fine. It's no problem. It's no <laughs> <That's> problem." <laughs> so it was just like we saw the birth of a rock god. Yeah. And then yeah. the death <laughs> yes. immediately. It was yes. fantastic. I loved yes. it. Yeah. I, I had a ninety-second career as a rock god. That's right. It did not go well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I there we it. have one of one of one end of the spectrum as. Jed pointed out, this is what happens at the big time. Every big name act you've heard is played there. And, well, to say that, boys, just really didn't fit in there. That's the right. dream wasn't what it turned out to be. That's right. Then there's the bullpen in Maryville, Tennessee, and really the same story. Lee, if you would. Yeah, I was in a, a, a band I was in in college. Uh, it was a three-piece band. We were playing at the bullpen in Maryville, Tennessee, which is a sports bar that was behind the Hollywood video. In Ooh, whoa. Yeah. So you wow. had to Which turn. Which sets this story both in time and location. <laughs> yes. So we set up to play this show, and uh, I was, and there were like maybe three people in the entire place, including the bartender. There was one guy actually sitting at the bar who was asleep on his arm the entire show, <laughs> except oh, for in between songs. I kid you not, every song after it was over. He'd raise his head up, one arm, one hand around his beer, and he'd say, play some crows, man. <laughs> Every... I've been to that gig, yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So anyway, so we're playing, I'm, I'm playing, a, we're playing this song from the 70s called Stuck in the Middle with You, and it's got this running kind of walking bass line. I'm playing bass and singing lead, and so I'm staring at the fingerboard of the bass, not paying attention, got my face buried in the mic, and I kind of, out of the corner of my eye, noticed that our guitar player, my friend, is just laughing at me like he's never heard a joke before and i'm like i look at him like what dude and he's like and he kind of motions with his head for me to look up so i hit this chorus and i look up and standing three feet in front of me is a woman who was in her mid-60s is my guess Mm. um she's wearing uh red stiletto heels yep black fishnet tights uh, a a leopard print mini skirt with like the little straps that go up to the leopard print halter top yeah big hoop earrings and she just got her hands in her hair and she's looking at me like she's dancing in front of the oh yeah and and i was i mean i almost jumped out of my skin and (laughs) i turned around and both of my bandmates were losing their minds this was the greatest (laughs) thing that they'd ever seen and and here mind you there was no one else dancing there was no one else there it was just her and the black crows guy that and the bartender that was yes so that's my rock and roll story so, rock and roll! Well, you did it. You rocked her. As you can tell, the the Say That crew has not had the best of luck with the rock and roll, but we're still going to give it a try. That's right. And I... <laughs> believe me, I know when to take a cue. And yep. on that basis... I declare rock and roll! <laughs> Emergency off.
Smooth <laughs> silk. <laughs> well done. You were very cool in the way you yeah. went about that. That's, I got more. No, no. let's, let's save can, that for later. No. Don't, don't. <laughs> yeah, don't. I'm a child. That's the kind of professionalism and can-do attitude that we will bring to the Bridge Loud Every Saturday night into Sunday, 3 a.m. That's how we get the good, like the 3 a.m. spot. Q Rock 100.7 or in Chicago area or Q Rock Online.com. That's how we listened to it last week. Can you believe they gave this bunch of idiots an actual radio show? <laughs> no. Seems inadvisable. It yeah. almost cannot be good. Yeah. Well, we there's big doings. We got the podcast network, and, and now we have the Bridge Lot podcast comes in every Friday, and for the next few weeks, that's going to be the audio from our from the radio show. So if you want to hear it, you can also check out the Bridge Loud on iTunes or the Bridgelot.podbean.com. So we've got that going. We've got the radio show. We've got our ministry here in Chicago. We've got all sorts of good stuff, but we haven't forgotten about Bridgebox. Oh, we don't no. want you to forget about Bridgebox either. We're no. still we're still putting out every month uh, an entire digital pack of. It's got songs, it's got Bible studies, it's got guest devotionals, it's got sermons, it's got all sorts of good stuff based around a topic. Our current topic we're working with here in the month of September is how do I forgive myself? A lot of good stuff on that. You got songs from Jed, songs from Lee, sermons from Glenn and myself. We have a guest devotional from a friend of ours, Pastor Al Guerra, very successful and wise dude. Got Bible studies, got songs from our friend Pintasha. Lots of cool stuff for only $8, the best part of the whole thing is that you support the ministry we do right here in Chicago with all that. You can check it out at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right. Oh, there's so much important, exciting stuff going on on the show. I almost forgot to mention, we have an interview. Ooh, the latest oh. segment, we're going to be talking to Zach Bolin. He's the lead singer of Citizens and Saints. Their new record, Amir Dimly, is out on September 16th. Very cool story. I'll give you some more uh, details as we go to the interview. But uh, Citizens and Saints actually started out as the worship band at one of the Mars Hills uh, loca- campuses up there in the Seattle area. So there's, if you follow the whole kind of uh, Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll thing, there's a lot of really cool insight from someone who was there and kind of the stuff they took away from that. Really fascinating interview. So we'll get to that in a minute. But for now, we go to our first question. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, it's a little bit longer question, but it's, it's a follow-up, and there's a lot of good stuff in here. We're going to do something a little different with this. So hang with us all the way through this. You're going to get a lot of good stuff. person writes in and says, Hey, this is the same girl that asked you about caretaking for my grandpa and grandma getting in the way and being hard to live with. You answered this question a couple of episodes back. So someone said, I, I have kind of given up. I've kind of moved to live in care of my sick grandfather and my grandmother who's there as well. And it's been a little tough. So what do we do? We gave her some advice about uh, boundaries and how to healthy and get help on someone out. So this is a follow-up. says, well, things have gotten a lot worse. My grandmother is very critical, even when I follow the doctor's orders. For example, when I put my grandfather's leg strap on in the way the nurses told me to, my grandmother tells me she wants it done her way instead. She insists that I'm trying to, quote, take over her house, unquote, because when she wanted to move into the basement I live in, I politely told her I would like my own space. Whenever I disagree after trying to get to let most things go, she tells me I'm acting like an argumentative teenager who will have trouble getting a job in the real world. I am 24 years old. The tipping point was when my grandpa fell and she stood over him arguing and yelling at him. I finished helping my grandpa into his chair and took care of him and then went out to my grandmother and said, the way you treat people is unacceptable. You need to get help. No one in our family is okay with the way you treat me. It might've been mean, but I was so angry. She laughed and told me I'll regret this. It was creepy. I then drove to my parents and broke down emotionally and didn't know what to do. We all prayed about it and wrote her a letter telling her I love her, 
but I can't continue living with her until we begin going to family counseling so we can learn to get along better. So again, there's a lot going on there, but this is a, one of the reasons we wanted to walk through this. We're actually going to get into some similar stuff in our second question here is we often get questions on the podcast. And a lot of them are about this kind of stuff, a lot of families and kind of complicated relationships and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And what happens a lot of times is we give the advice about how to go about setting a boundary, how to go about enforcing that boundary. And some, sometimes we get into some of the stuff you can expect if that happens. What we have here, interestingly, is uh, we, we sometimes get follow-up questions. Most of the time we handle those off air and we do more. But so this is, I think, a really good, cool, interesting kind of teaching moment of someone who did all that stuff right. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to have to learn how to deal with some of the fallout. Because just as we point out, just because negative stuff happens doesn't mean you did the wrong thing. And that's right. One thing we want to reinforce our friend here. So, Glenn, if you can start us off and less on this round than answering the question, let's kind of go through it and pick out why this was the right stuff, even if these things went wrong. Let's kind of be encouraging. Let's kind of use this as it is, a very good blueprint of how we handle these things. Well, I think the, the key thing is to recognize, uh, in terms of what you did right here, is to recognize that uh, this was not something that you did uh, out of anger. I mean, mm-hmm. you may have been angry when you did it, but it's a thing where uh, you talked with us about it, you'd given it some thought, you you know, were able to start to draw lines of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. When you saw something that was not acceptable, you confronted it, and you did so in a direct way, in a, in, in a, a solid way. Yeah, I, I think there's a temptation to think that that's meanness, but that's not mm-hmm. uh, any mm-hmm. of that. Is, none of that is mean at all. Um, uh, I think the other thing I, I would say uh, about that, just as we're we're sort of analyzing where we go from here and kind of – well, analyzing this and then, you know, where, where do we go next step-wise, is to, to recognize – uh, I, I think there's a temptation when we've when we've made a confrontation and it hasn't gone well, which is usually the thing. Yeah. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the fact that you need to confront someone is is a healthy step, but it doesn't mean that that we should expect that a confrontation would be a wonderful experience. That's mm-hmm. not reasonable, uh, you know, for you or for the other person. Right. And uh, the whether or not you are doing it well is not contingent on how the other person oh, yeah. takes it. That's not a good way yeah, to judge no, it. Yeah, uh, no. Some people need to just uh, go away and freak out because they are way deep in their pathology, and yeah. they they need to uh, uh, they they sort of need to be angry about it, even angry with you sure. enough to think about it long enough to realize what they've done. Mm. So. That doesn't mean it's bad because she reacts negatively necessarily. I mean, it's certainly not pleasant, but yeah. it's not always a sign that 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 this is a a, a lack of forward growth or something. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but I would say along those lines, it's also not time to ease up or cut her some more slack. No. Mm-hmm. There's a temptation to to think, well, you know, this. Uh, maybe I was mean, so now I need to let her get away with the next handful nope. of things for whatever. That's the exact opposite of where we're at. If yeah. I if, if it gets to the point where I have to confront you, it's reached emergency level proportions. If I have to confront you and you react this poorly, that tells me you are extremely dug in on the exact wrong thing. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And giving you lots of extra rope, A, is a terrible idea, and B, 
it means uh, it sort of confirms that I shouldn't have given you uh, uh, as yeah. much as this, or yeah. or that. Yeah, I mean that. You know, uh, I I've given you a lot under the premise that maybe you'd figure this out on your own. Yeah. But now we recognize that premise doesn't hold. That yeah. that that in, in fact you were going about this in a very determined, very intent yeah. way. Real quick, just as as I send it around to these other fellows. The other thing is to look at uh, your grandmother's age and what her health is, uh, because one of the things that does happen with people when they get into an Alzheimer's, when they get into a dementia, sometimes they can get very physically confrontational, uh, emotionally confrontational. They can, it, it's just part of the process of the mind beginning mm -hmm. to break down there. And so that, that may be something physically wrong with her that she may not be able to help very much. Mm -hmm. This is kind of so far crazy behavior here that it makes you suspicious of that and, and it might be good to get a doctor to take a look at that situation. But if that's the case, then that triggers a whole other round of considerations here. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If that is the case, we obviously we, we're not interested in diagnosing anyone with anything from afar, so right. mm -hmm. we're, gonna, we're probably going to move forward with the idea that that's not the case. But if it is, that's not uh, people who have uh, emotional or physical illnesses do not get to live in a world where they have no boundaries. There's yeah. just a different mm -hmm. way, a more specialized and maybe exact way you go about dealing with all that. But a lot of the stuff we're going to give you applies on that. It just applies in a different way. And Lee, I'd love to get you to jump in on this where – just pick up right on what uh, Glenn was saying there of this is not a meanness thing. There's nothing wrong with asserting your role in this. And right. how do we how do we go about that? This is obviously someone who was used to having all the control and all the say-so in this situation. And someone else, when our friend came on as a primary caregiver, which is a a role that reserves a certain amount of respect and didn't get that, how do we kind of uh, – what was the – how in what way did our friend do the right thing of asserting that role and not putting up with it being kind of chipped away at well for one thing um i would say that you know uh deciding hey i'm going to do what the nurse tells me to do um and i'm not going to be dissuaded on that and this is you know kind of a hill i'm going to die on that's exactly the right place to 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 roll out some of this stuff i think i think that was done really really well a lot of times in these kind of primary caregiving situations People well, it, really, in any kind of medical situation, patients have uh, an can have a lot of attitude about the the kind of care that they're receiving, and you'll hear medical medical professionals talk a lot about people who are compliant and people who are non-compliant, and and if you're in this role where you are taking care of somebody who cannot take care of themselves, and a medical professional has set the standard of what the care is going to be, it's exactly right to say, we are going to do what your nurses said needs to be done. And we're going to do what the nurse said, the, the way the nurse said to do it. I'm going to do it that way. I'm not asking you this and all that kind of stuff. Now, you can roll a lot of that kind of stuff out with kindness. You don't have to be uncool about it. But that is exactly the right kind of thing to come down on. One thing that I thought was unfortunate in this deal was that you, have, you had to say the statement, no one else in the family thinks that you treat me well. Um, that's a bummer to me because the fact that you have to say that means that nobody else in the family has told grandma this. Right. Um, and here's the deal is... Everybody, if somebody else in the family feels that way, which uh, I, from what you're telling us, they all should, and, and sounds like they all do, one of the reasons that grandma gets away with everything is that nobody says anything. 
And a lot of times people feel like, well, you know, it's grandma. So we just kind of let her just misbehave as much as she wants to. And that's not helping grandma out. That's not helping you out. That's not helping anybody out. It doesn't develop any kind of system of respect. It doesn't give you any kind of system of dignity or anything like that. And it, and I just want to say kind of on record, it really sucks that you had to say that. Now, yeah. if, if everybody feels that way, people should be communicating that to grandma, again, not in an uncool way, but in a firm way that says, hey, listen, we love you, but you may not speak to, uh, you know, your grandkids this way. Uh, you know, it, for my case, it would be, you know, if it was, if I was in the situation, I would be talking to my parents saying, you may not speak to my child that way. I love you, but you're not getting away with this. You may not talk that way. And what happens is in these situations so often is people just say, ah, well, you know, and they just let them get away with it. And that's where you are. And you've been put in this unfortunate situation. But again, I think you're handling it really well. And it's not meanness to say, I will not be treated this way. Uh, God doesn't want you to be mistreated and abused and, and you know and, and you know verbally emotionally or anything like that. We don't want that from you. Your family shouldn't want that either. And everybody should be standing up with kindness, with affection, with love, and all that kind of stuff. But with a firmness to say, this is the way that we're going to treat each other. I think you're exactly. I think you're exactly right on this thing. And I think Glenn's exactly right too in saying. You know, you got to prepare yourself for the simple fact that certain people, uh, most folks of a certain age, do not make sweeping changes in their attitudes and their actions and stuff like that. That doesn't mean that you have to accept this, uh, but it does it does mean that it's good to kind of set your expectations that this is the way she's always been able to get away with acting and it's it, she she may keep on going, but you're right to say you can't talk to me that way. That's insane. Tyler Light and Jed, love you to close out on this. I'm looking at one particular relationship dynamic here, which needs to be looked at, and both Glenn and Lee kind of touched on it, which is this idea that um, it's kind of a false equivalency thing of if relative A acts super out of pocket over a number of years and you put a boundary on them once, but they get uh, offended about it, now we have a, well, we all said some things and we all everybody mm-hmm. was a little mean and can't we all come together? Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that our friend did very well here and we can uh, encourage them on is it's a good idea to take kind of a pulled away some, as best you can dispassionate look and land on this person was wrong and I was right. But mm-hmm. how, how do we kind of keep that, how do we kind of keep the mojo for that going as we... As again, as every one of us on the podcast has dealt with in very real life, when we have an offended old lady. Yeah. It's a great question. Well, let's start here. Um, uh, for our question asker, you are doing such a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is you, yeah. Next you need to stuff. hear all of us say that. You're, no one could ask you to do better than what you've done. You've done a tremendous, tremendous job. We are so proud of you. Um, you're doing great. I know it doesn't feel good, but you're, you're doing just great stuff. You're doing a great job. If we pull the camera back for a second, when we have to confront someone, it's because their behavior uh, is is unacceptable, which is exactly the word you use, the right word to use. Mm-hmm. What often keeps us from confronting people is the question of, do they mean it that way? In other words, mm. I don't want to fire down on somebody that doesn't mean anything by it. You know, I mean, or they're having a bad day. Or exactly. Something. If you think about it, this, is what people say all the time when they're walking their dogs. Their their dog comes up to you. It's about to gnaw your leg off. Say, oh, he's just being friendly. Right. He loves people. <laughs> right. He doesn't mean anything That's by right. it. That's right. Okay. And as silly of an argument as that is, we all 
we all kind of feel that way. We, we don't want to, to take someone to task for something when they don't mean anything negative by it. That's just, that's kind of how they are. Um, and, and as both Lee and Glenn are pointing out, family cultures have a way of deciding that's the narrative. Mm-hmm. Grandma doesn't mean anything by it. You know, she's just, that's, that's how she expresses love. Right. You know, that's right. just, you know, that's right. just how she is. The funny thing is when we confront people, and to be clear, you confront people when the behavior is unacceptable, whether they mean anything by it or not. Right. Um, I want to say that again. Uh, this is about behavior, not motive. Exactly. That's right. That's actually, as we point out on the show several times, one of the important things about do having a clear confrontation done well, which our friend did here, is not getting into underlying motive. This is you right. engaged in X behavior, which is unacceptable. Exactly right. It doesn't matter if your dog is just friendly or not. He's currently biting my shoe. That right. is that is unacceptable, right. regardless right. of his reasons for said shoe biting. Right. All right. So it is here. Grandma's behavior is unacceptable, regardless of what is motivating it. But the funny thing about when you confront people is you get an instant window into what the motivation actually was. Right. And it's very, very telling. Yeah. Someone that truly doesn't mean anything by it. Here's how that conversation goes. Oh, my goodness. I, I had no idea I was coming off right. that way. Right. I. I, I am so embarrassed. I'm, I was having a bad day. I have no excuse, but yeah. I, I am so sorry. It'll, I just, I can't believe I would have do that yeah. and it will, it will never happen again. And, and I'm, you know, I just, I just hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Yeah. That's what a person says when they didn't mean anything by it right. and they were having a bad day and whatnot. When someone, I'm going to read back to you what you literally wrote down. She laughed and told me I would regret this. Right. That's a person who means something by it. That's something yeah. the Joker would do. Yeah. That's something the yeah. Joker would do. Yeah, that's um, bad. What that response is telling you is it's telling you, oh, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it on purpose. Right, that's right. I yeah. mean something negative by it. Mm. I intend to be dominating and controlling. Right. That's what I'm here to do. Get in line with that. Right. Um, the, the answer to that should, should not be no. It should be absolutely heck no under no circumstances. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing that. But, Matt, to go all the way now back to the question that you kicked me with, with that idea of the family may put pressure to say, well, isn't it a case where everybody's a little bit wrong? And, and you may feel that in yourself because mm-hmm. that's you know, a cultural thing for a lot of people. And the answer is no. Grandma is 100% wrong because grandma's behavior is 100% wrong. Uh, Grandma's attitude is 100% wrong. I may have funky attitudes of my own. And of course you do. You're an imperfect person. But that doesn't ameliorate the fact that grandma is 100% wrong. You're absolutely right. I think it's a very important point here. Even if you don't do a confrontation as well as our friend here did, someone says, well, you shouldn't raise your voice. You can say that's true. But that's a separate conversation. That's right. neither here nor there. Grandma is still wrong. Yeah. The fact that I was wrong in one other instance does not negate it. This is not an equivalent thing. Exactly mm-hmm. right. What we've discovered, we knew your behavior was 100% wrong. That's why we had the conversation. What we discovered from your action is your motivations were also 100% wrong. <laughs> Meaning, don't expect me to be sympathetic right. about your bad right. behavior. You're not asking for sympathy. You're not asking for sympathy. But I want to close on this. You have done a great job here. Yeah. You have handled this as well as anyone could ask you to do. We're proud of you. We've got your back. Hold your head up. Absolutely. And we, uh, we're going to come back to this whole situation again uh, in our third question here because, again, it's a very illustrative one. It's a, there's a good amount of detail. And we know that everybody deals with this. Everybody has 
uh, family members, friends, coworkers, people in their church, they have to put boundaries on. And one of the things that in, uh, that we've observed kind of from our work in Chicago and even in my own life is one of the things that holds people back from trying to put down healthy boundaries is this weird, what if the person freaks out and there's a worst case scenario and wouldn't that be a million times worse than no. what we're on? The answer is certainly no. And we can kind of walk through a situation here and say, Whatever weird freak out someone has, you can handle it, and we're going to land in a good spot. Okay, so right now we're going to take you to our interview. This is with Zach Bolin. He's the lead singer of Seattle band Citizens and Saints. They have a new record called Amir Dimly coming out on September 16th. The band formed as the worship band for one of the uh, campuses of Mars Hill Church, which you probably heard of, uh, pastored by Mark Driscoll. And as you probably know, earlier in the year, uh, they folded completely. Mark Driscoll was removed from leadership, and within a very short amount of time, that church stopped being a church. There is no more Mars Hill. So it's a very cool thing to get to talk to Zach, not only about his music, but about being a minister, because he was a staff worship pastor for Mars Hill, what he learned from that situation, I think a lot of us read a lot about that. There was kind of a lot of think pieces trying to draw big. You know, what does it mean about mega churches, and what does it mean about kind of this macho thing, and what does it mean about leadership? And this whole deal is very interesting to see someone to hear from someone who is in the middle of that has an amazing, uh, really kind of amazingly wise and level-headed mm. perspective on the whole thing. Really enjoyed talking to Zach. So we're going to take you to that right now. So love to get just the background of the band. You guys started out as a worship band at one of the Mars Hill churches. So how long have you guys been together? What was that experience of kind of going from that to doing the record stuff like? Yeah, we started off, my family and I moved from, um, from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, We were there for a year um, to you know, we moved across the country to, to work at Marshall church. And so when I got there, um, my job was basically to start a band because they did, um, you know, depending on what people's kind of familiar familiarity is with this, like some of the more, some churches will do maybe a worship team. Marshall chose to do more of a band model. And, um, and so I met three of the five guys that are in the band now within the first two weeks of being there and we started the band and had some other musicians playing. And because it was a church band, we were writing songs, arranging so- like hymns mostly, mostly for the church to be able to sing. And then we started writing our own music. And in that process is kind of when we got connected to the other two guys that, that are in the band now. Um, and from there, we because we were part of you know the same church, we were writing uh, our music the way it was was because it was meant to serve a specific purpose and that was to write songs for the church to sing. And then when Marcel, um, as an organization dissolved, we really felt like the band should continue. We really felt like we had a lot of gas left in the tank and wanted to continue doing this. And so you kind of fast forward to this current record that's coming out and, uh, it's, it's very, it's, it's a lot different, you know, from anything we've done. And I think it's just because, we're not all a part of the same church anymore. And so I'd say that we still write songs that are uh, worshipful in nature, but the focus is not to necessarily write congregational songs. It's more just to write honest uh, songs about faith and our struggles. And hopefully they can be really conversational and still really uh, important and special to the people in the church. For sure. Well, I've I've read some some of your description of the album. You've you've described it as a concept album about yeah. kind of the breakdown of Mars Hill and what happened in the in the aftermath of that. And 
it's interesting you talk about you know the the point of that music what and uh, you know i think people are familiar with the idea of a concept album of kind of telling a story or kind of uh sergeant pepper's kind of thing but what's the yeah what's the overall arc you're, you're kind of working through in this album yeah i mean the biggest thing that we're working through is just the idea that everybody regardless of whether you're a christian or not a believer or not you um you have faith and doubt you know um you know, even someone who doesn't believe in God has, you know, faith in, in something, you know, whether it's nothingness or um, some other, you know, something something else that gives them hope um, beyond this life. I think that ultimately, you know, in the most trite kind of way, but also in the really deep um, philosophical way, like we think about that stuff. And I think when it comes to faith, like it's within God, it's really not that much different when it comes to like the human response, because ultimately we're believing in a God who we can't see yet we know, because as we he saves us, we are changing because he lives in us. Um, and so I think that that creates this really unique thing about Christianity, but it also makes it something that's kind of hard to necessarily explain very clearly <laughs> or to even fully understand at times. And so this record really is about the journeys through faith and doubt, but also kind of this theme that weaves throughout in our entire lives, and that's that we're loved no matter what. Like We're loved no more when we have faith, and we're loved no less when we doubt. And I think that, to me, is the most compelling thing about the gospel, is knowing that we're loved. Because then... Because God is at work in us, we are, our desires are changing. And so even if we may not always believe uh, as much as we would like, or even when we do believe uh, and, and our faith exceeds even our ability to comprehend uh, you know, what's going on, we still, at the end of the day, all of that, if, if there's forward progress, it's the result of God changing us. If there isn't, if we feel stagnant, if we feel distant from God at the end of the day, we still are, God is still there. He's still present. He still loves us. But it just exposes the human side of us that struggles to always trust God. And, uh, and so I think that's what this record is really about. It's a journey through the life of as a Christian and that it's not just all roses and happy, you know, giggles with the ice cream cake all the time. It's like, <laughs> hard you know we still live in a world that's broken and we still feel stuff and i think the thing is is we can't forget that god feels too you know he created us in his image and so it's it's important for us to to know and acknowledge that as we struggle through doubts as we struggle through different things that that's normal and it's also not uh it's also normal for us to go to god and talk to him about that and not feel like we need to just suppress it um, and and leave it to you know just dismiss it as something that's sort of shameful or embarrassing, but I mean when you read through the Psalms, there is a lot of introspection. There's a lot of questions mm -hmm. that that, pe that the psalmists, not just David, are asking of God. And I think that if that's in the Bible and God's given that to us as His Word, then we could certainly look you know use that as a helpful guide through our own struggles. Um, and so that's kind of really what our hope is with this with this record and sort of the concept of it all. Very cool. And you mentioned kind of these, these themes of faith and doubt and in what we put our faith and doubt. And obviously, uh, you mentioned uh, before the, the kind of demise of and the dissolution of Mars Hill, 
I yeah. assume, given the timing and that that's kind of where you work, that that that's a concept that looms large over has obviously loomed over, over the last couple of years of your life. Does that yeah. has that made its way into what you're dealing with in the record? Was that kind of an inciting incident? Oh no! It for, I mean, this record is what it is because of Marcel uh, dissolving. I mean, when you go from having your church community and, and all these people that you see every week, and not just on a Sunday, but you know, even just in your lives, like you go from having that camaraderie as sort of being all a part of the same body, and then as far as like a local church goes, and then for that to just be completely—it's not obliterated, but it's—it's. It's, it, there's definitely like this certain explosion that happens and it sends us off in different directions, not just uh, physically, you know, to different churches, but also like emotionally and spiritually, uh, because you just wrestle through that in a lot of different ways. I mean, for a lot of Marcel was the type of church where you had in a city like Seattle, a lot of people, their first church experience was Marcel. And so if your first church experience winds up being this really, really great thing, but then all of a sudden it's gone because of your this leader and leaders you've been following have, you know, seemingly been doing things that contradict the very sermons that have been preached. That's a pretty difficult thing to just wrestle through. And so I think for all of us, like in the band, two things were constant. The first one was we just were experiencing God's love in ways we never had before because here we were, we're no longer a part of the same church yet. We're going to these, these different churches in Seattle and experiencing God's love in some amazing ways through his people. And then two was that we had different struggles and things that we were going through, but um, we weren't alone in that. And so I think that like it definitely influenced the way that this album was written because you have conversations with all those thousands of people, uh, maybe you – know, I didn't have conversations with thousands of people, but there are thousands of people sure. now spread out throughout the city. And so it's almost like you have one conversation with one person and it's like having a conversation with 20 because they're just, there's so many people in that same boat and, and they've also been having conversations with other people too. And so we kind of stayed connected to those conversations. And so those conversations also influenced just how we wrote this record because you hear someone that's hurting or hearing somebody that's just really confused or or just is like what is the point of church what is the point of this if i'm just going to get burned and hurt and and they're just going to you know betray the very things that i feel like i've been given my life to and then they're not like you know if, if that's the first time you wrestled through that it's pretty hard and that's was a lot of people at Marceau. You know, some people they know they've experienced that, and they know not every church is perfect. But that wasn't the case for a lot of people at Marceau. Marceau was a great church for a lot of great reasons, but it also just so happened to have a, a sickness that was running through it that ultimately led to its demise. Well, I think that's really a fascinating and mature way to look at it. I think that is that something that also makes this album. Uh, what you're looking at in this album really universally applicable. I mean, we obviously all haven't been through a church demise or something, this kind of big news event, but in a way, everybody has, in their faith, you know, or their church life or their walk, dealt with something yeah. that they thought was the thing and then realized that it wasn't as much. But Jesus is still there at the end of that. Is that your hope that kind of you can spin this experience you've had into something that everybody can relate to? Totally. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, even though the church as an organization had fallen, like the, the like it wasn't like Jesus wasn't still shepherding us and caring for his sheep. And so I think that's the hard part. At first, 
that was the hard part to accept because at first you feel like I was a pastor at Mars Hill. So you feel a lot of guilt. You feel a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, just burden for people that are hurting. But then you you realize, too, like I can't like we can't fix this situation. We are not we're ultimately not the hope for any person. Uh, Mark Driscoll was not the hope for any person at Mars Hill and Mars Hill was not the hope for Seattle. Like the hope for Seattle, the hope for each of us is Jesus. The hope for any church is Jesus. The hope for any community is Jesus. The hope for this world is Jesus. And so when you put it in that perspective, it definitely um, it, it changes you, I think. Um, and it gives you uh, a greater appreciation, one, for the fact that God <laughs> God loves broken, uh, forgetful people. Like How often every day do we forget about God's ability to provide for us do we forget about god's uh peace that he can offer to us do we forget that he cares for us do we forget how many often do we forget that he is near us you know all these different things we're forgetful and i think that's the beauty of the church where even though we are we have this tendency to mess things up at times uh we also have each other and uh we and, and I think when we're being honest with each other, we and I think this is what wasn't happening at Mars Hill. And I think had it been, it would have, it could have been different. But when we're all being honest with each other, from the the leader down to the the kid, right? All of us together in that community, um, there is, I think, a greater chance that to avoid like certain a certain sabotage, if you will, um, you know, because we tend to self sabotage, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, some things because we choose to hide and we choose to believe things that are, just aren't true and um and so i think that coming out of it you just have a different perspective and uh, and i on one hand it, it, it sucks to have gone through it on the flip side i wouldn't be who i am without it so um i i can't help but thank god for the experience too because i've grown a lot learned a lot and i have a greater appreciation too just for jesus's church um as a whole Absolutely. Well, I'll I'll ask you one final question here. I super appreciate your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Obviously, it, the record, it sounds like, is your hope for kind of what individuals can pick up going out of this. You say, you know, it's born of those stories. It's reaching out to people. As someone who was at the epicenter of this thing that to a lot of us around the, the world, around the country, who even, even, you know, somebody like me who, you know, works with a lot of church stuff and follows those trends and whatnot was kind of a you know, it was this big macro story. It was, what does this mean for multi-campus churches? And what does this mean for the celebrity, you know, pastor circuit? But what was, what's kind of your takeaway? Like when you, now when you look at, when you go to the Christian bookstore, when you're looking at new churches, what, as someone who lived through that, as you said, was dealing with this big experience, kind of what, has anything changed the way you look at Christian stuff now? Oh yeah, man, so much. I mean, for starters, like, I I think my wife and I coming out of it all just realized that for us, I mean, we've been a part of a couple of different mega churches and we've seen a lot of good and there are tons of great large churches out there that even our band gets to work with from time to time. It's been really great. I think for us though, we just decided like that just isn't for us. You mm-hmm. know? And I do feel like there is a growing um, trend that's, you know, happening within you know i think just our country as well and i think throughout the world where when you have these ministries that are you know pretty egocentric and centered around one person 
um, when that one person falls, it definitely sends a pretty mighty ripple through the church and, and not just the church, but the community that's a part of. And at the end of the day, like, I just think that, you know, when you read, when you see in the word as it, you know, time and time again, it's like Jesus is this stumbling block, if you will. You know, he, he offers this parable. He heals somebody. He is, uh, has the power to forgive us of sin, to cleanse us of that sin. Like it, everything stops. At him. And yet so often I think the church tries to become that. Mm. And then when the church isn't that, like at, with Mars Hill, I mean, Seattle, I mean, generally as a whole, they were either in, no one was indifferent towards Mars Hill. That's, that's, that's for sure. Like, but a lot of people hated the church. I mean, hated the church. And on one hand, you could say, well, that's just because they were preaching the truth. But it's like, no, it, it can't be. It can't just be that. Like, there's obviously other reasons. And part of that was because it just wasn't always done in love. Like, it was truth mm-hmm. that was preached, but it was like the opposite of it was exactly what First Corinthians 13 says. It's just a loud gong. It's just bang, bang, bang. Let me just make lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of noise and say this is love. But it's not received as that. It's just received as a bunch of noise. And the only thing that people focus on is the the things that you do that actually are really hurtful to a community or to a group of people. And that's really what Marcel had done in a lot of ways, not just Mark, but the leaders too. And so I think to me, the biggest thing that I see is that um, there's a lot of responsibility, like bigger churches just have that much more responsibility uh, to have leaders that are walking in the light and to really um, preach, preach the gospel, preach the love of God and not just, uh, you know, here's, you know, let me just listen to a person. It's not centered around a person, but it's it's the body of Christ. The mm-hmm. focus is Jesus. And so I think that to me has probably been one of the most uh, revealing things that I see as we go around as a band, but also as something that I hope uh, even this record would provide conversations for that. Because I know there are people, uh, maybe even people that listen to this podcast that are, that really struggle through things about their church or are wrestling through different decisions that are being made. And one thing that's important to remember is like all of us are human. <laughs> We're capable of making bad decisions. We're capable of, of, of sin affecting the way we make decisions. But at the same time too, um, there's also just a lot of, a lot of things that I think the church has created that are a distraction from the most important mm-hmm. things. And I think people are feeling that at times. And so I think it's good to have a camaraderie in it, but also that camaraderie doesn't just need to be talking about it. It can be praying for those, those churches and those leaders and also working with them to maybe work towards something that is, is more ecumenical and more helpful to the overall, to the overall good of the people that that community is there to, that church is there to, to support. Well, that's a fantastic answer. It's a really insightful take on a, a clearly messy situation, but clearly a lot of uh, growth and grace came out of it. And a big part of that is a Mirror Dimly, which is the Citizens and Saints record. You can get it on t- starting on September 16th, anywhere you buy music. Zach Boland, thanks so much for joining me, man. Hey, man. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it.
All right, really enjoyed talking to Zach again. Citizen Saints and Mirror Dimly comes out this Friday, September 16th. Available Amazon, iTunes, anywhere you get music. I want to thank Zach for taking the time to join us. We're going to move on to our final question here. It is an extension of the question we handled in our first segment. If you're just tuning in now, then you listen to podcasts in a very, very weird manner. <laughs> Go back to the beginning and do it right. And this is our same friend who continues. That's in the Bible. That's exactly right. The podcast Bible. Our friend writes in, continuing on the story of the grandmother. uh, I have yet to hear from my grandma or hear any regret or desire to change. And I love my grandpa a lot and loved caring for him. But my grandmother is so toxic for me. I literally feel my body freezing up thinking about being with her. I feel super guilty for sort of abandoning my grandpa and wonder daily if I made the right choice. And if I should go back and buck up, my grandpa's life kind of sucks when I'm not there. He barely gets to go outside or watch anything he likes on TV. I don't know how long to wait before I start job searching in my life or if I'm disobeying God, since I think God told me to move there and take care of him in the first place. I guess my question is, what do you do when you set an ultimatum and it goes wrong? Very good question. And Jed, love you to start us off on this. And let's open with dealing with kind of the emotional landscape of this thing of I set a boundary. I did that right. Then there's a fallout. And not only does that hurt me, there are people engaged in this Mm -hmm. that I think are getting hurt. And doesn't that mean I did the wrong thing? That guilt factor. Again, we we get that a lot with if whether that's uh, something as as kind of big and harsh as divorce or someone saying I'm unhappy with the way this this pastor treats me at this church. So I Mm -hmm. want to leave, but I lead the small group. So isn't it where do we find that balancing line between doing what's right for us and what we know is right, but kind of letting God sort out everything else. That's a great question. And I can, I can relate to that feeling a lot. I'm sorry that you're, that you're having to deal with that. Um, let's talk about your grandma for a second as a way of, of getting, uh, to that answer. Glenn is absolutely right. It is certainly possible that your grandmother has dementia or another health concern that's driving this behavior. A good indicator of that would be if you described her behavior to other people in the family and they're like, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound like her at all. Um, Then that would be a sign that that may be going on. Yeah, if it's getting worse uh, over time, if she didn't used to be quite this bad. Exactly right. If you're describing the behavior and they're like, yeah, no, that's... That's that's kind of how she is. That's Clara. Then that's that's how she is. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about that. Let's say that's the case. If I recall your first um, email to us, I'm pretty sure that's what we're dealing with here. Um, this I'm going to tell you something that's hard to hear, but A, it's true. B, it will help. And C, you can handle it. So I want you to go with me for a second. Um, your grandmother has been this way a long time. And mm-hmm. here's the key thing is uh, your grandpa actually knew that. Um, he knew that before he was infirmed and needed people to take care of him. Um, he knew that he needed to do something to address this person's behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, that could be pursuing couples counseling. That could be setting boundaries of his own. That could be pursuing a trial separation. There's a lot of ways to do that. He didn't do those things. Right. Uh, he chose not to do them. He was in a marriage with a person with significant behavioral problems. Um, and he chose to not address that. Right. Um, and now we have the situation you're in. Here's the really important thing. It's not your job and you're not capable of making up for decades of inaction and passivity on the part of your grandfather. That's right. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's an awful thing and it sounds cold. It sounds heartless, but, um, yeah, you can't help everybody. Uh, and you can't bless people that aren't willing to receive a blessing. 
Right. Um, this is one of the things that crops up in the work we do here in Chicago all the time is um, we want to help. That's what we're here to do. You have to be open to receiving that help mm-hmm. for that to occur. I can't make you be open. Right. I can't right. make you be. It Sometimes it breaks my heart because, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we're just talking about a family that we know and love earlier that's going through so many difficulties. And we want to help more than anything. And there's just no openness to that. Well, uh, there's every potential for success. There's every potential for success. This is the thing. But family, dysfunctional family dynamics never occur in a vacuum. Um, right. you, you, you do need to know that. Wherever there's an addict, there's an enabler. That's right. Um, where, wherever there's a person with uh, behavioral problems, there's a person not saying something about it. What I'm saying in a sense is the, uh, the odds, I don't know, but the odds are high that this is as much on your grandpa as it is on your grandma. And the thing is, they dealt the play. Mm. They created a situation where they're not able to receive a blessing from you. Right. A, that's not your fault, which means it's not something for you to take any sense of guilt or ownership over at all, at all. But B, even if you even if you heaped a million tons of guilt on yourself, you still couldn't force them right. to, to change it. Yeah. Right. I think that's absolutely right. And it's worth pointing out here because this is a thing that's kind of, as Jed's pointed out, very important in the work we do. This is a thought and a thought process that you can have free of judgment. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is not saying, look, Grandpa didn't rain around, so this is his bed and he's got a lie in it. Yep. It's saying, as exactly as Jed's saying, it is not incumbent upon me as the grandchild to undo all of this. Yeah, absolutely. We can right. only look at what we can do for everyone, grandpa included, yes. going yeah. forward, but it's not yeah. my job to fix this and get it yeah, back to It's about to the a situation. Dynamic. Yeah, if you're set up where you can't succeed, exactly then, right. you know, the, the situation's against you. And let's be, let's be clear on this before I send around to these other guys. If you try and violate that, if you say, no, I'm just going to be super Christian, and I'm just going to get in there, and I'm just going to serve... Mm-hmm. That's why I'm going to serve to the max. Stuff will get worse to the point oh, yeah. where no question about that. Where you will say something you'll regret. Right. You will say something relationship ending. She will say something relationship ending. The police will get called. It will be a whole thing. Mm-hmm. A wise person recognizes that's the trajectory this is on mm-hmm. with no interest in the other parties in changing it. I'm getting off this crazy train now. Right. That's right. Um, I, I, it's, it's a situation that cannot be fixed without a change in heart on their part. Therefore, I am not a, putting myself at risk in the middle of it because that doesn't honor God That's for right. me to do that. That's right. Me taking those burdens on myself doesn't honor God. It doesn't actually show love to anyone. All it does is hurt me and ultimately off of that hurt them. So I'm not going to do that. Right. Absolutely right. And Leah, I'd love to kick it to you on this. There's, uh, that's definitely, Jed did a great job kind of dismantling the, uh, the kind of wrong but very understandable and pretty universal thought process behind that whenever people set a, a boundary one of the first thing that happens is they immediately feel guilty and want to go back on it yeah and another part of that here is and this is something a lot of people deal with is this idea of shouldn't i have just i believe as the wording is in the question buck up and deal with it and Lee, i'd love to get you to kind of uh look at that of a lot of times in a lot of different situations particularly in uh, kind of bad relationship dynamics People, Christians particularly, and young Christians a lot, feel that, uh, well, what God really wants me to do is just suffer through this because that's yeah. real Jesus-y. And again, <laughs> we're not judging on that because that's a thought we all have. Yeah, right. but we ha- we want to be active in fighting against that. And Lee, can you point out why that's actually a wrong thought for us? Yeah, one one reason that I can point out that it's a wrong thought is that I have researched this. and <laughs> <laughs> Done I the have, lab work. I have tried this myself. Uh, this is a hypothesis I have tested 
as Jed said, I'm just going to get in there and serve, and I'm just going to be, I'm just going to go in there with kindness. I'm just going to just just be a help. That's all I'm going to do. Here's what I'm telling you: you go into a toxic situation like that, you will be slandered. Yep. You will be thrown under the bus. Everything you do and say will be twisted, will be manipulated. You will find yourself in the in the epicenter of just unbelievable drama and you didn't even do anything. Your your yep. intention was just to go in and serve. You will be stepped on. You will be talked about. You will be emailed about. You will be texted about. You will be trashed. Um yep. you cannot untoxify something that is this corrosive by just turning up the Christian. And I want to speak to one specific part on this in your in your question, which is where you said, you know, I felt like I need to stay in this because I felt called by God to it. Okay, I can't speak to that, but I can tell you this. Whatever whatever the Lord was calling to you to in the beginning, you know, maybe you've learned some stuff and and yep. what's happened and and all that kind of thing. But here's what we can tell you. God does not want you to go into a situation where your basic dignity is not respected or honored. Amen. He does not want you to be emotionally abused. He does not want you to be mm-hmm. uh, he does not want you to be manipulated, taken advantage of. You find yourself in a situation like this. And and I'm glad that you wrote into us about it because uh, and let's say this. When you're in the middle of drama like this, it is hard to parse it out. It's hard to figure it out on your own. And it is a good thing to widen the circle, to shine some light on it and to say, you know, whether it's to us or to a small group or to a mentor or pastor or whatever, look at this situation. Is this hinky to you because I feel really crazy in the middle of all this? And let us just be one voice in your life that says, "Hey, it is it's time to cut bait. I mean, this is not this is not a healthy situation. It sucks that you're in it, but this is not the kind of situation where God wants you to just go in and take your lumps. You know, just go in and take your lumps and just whatever. That's not what. Um, it, again, and it could, this could not be more important. God doesn't want you to be mistreated or abused. He doesn't want a situation where your basic dignity is not honored. And and one part that I specifically want to speak to is this idea, which I, I think that this happens to all of us in these kind of situations where guilt can play a factor, which is, you know, it's this idea of if I don't do this, then there's nobody to help. Darling, you should not be the only person keeping this Amen. family afloat. Yeah. Okay. And where is everybody else? Okay. Hello. This is not your ship to unsink. Yep. Okay. This, this look, and first of all, uh, um, you know, I have three children, and if we get into a situation where the only person taking the uncool stuff from grandma or grandpa from my parents, if if that's the situation, is my children, and I'm not getting in there to stop it and and, and stem the flow and all that kind of stuff, then uh, that is not cool on me, baby. That is yeah. not that Amen. is not a cool thing. Where's the rest of the family? This is not on your shoulders. And the Lord does not want you to be in a situation where your basic dignity is not respected or honored. So I, I understand how confusing this is, and I understand how difficult it is, and I understand that you love Grandpa, but this is not a situation where you have to be. Even if you felt like in the beginning the Lord called me to this, and I can promise you, Jed's exactly right, you can't serve your way out of this. You will be slandered. You will be be pulled down into the drama of all of it. 
That's really fantastic stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you pick up right where Lee left off on this idea of just because God called you to this at some point does not mean he's currently calling you to it. And just because you're leaving it now does not mean you were never called to it. Absolutely right. Uh, we see a lot of uh, problems where uh, someone asks the Lord for insight a year ago. Yep. And hasn't uh, uh, got any. <laughs> you need uh, regular updates on all of these things. That's how we do things with ministry. Uh, we know that uh, these are fluid situations. We know that sometimes God calls us to a situation because He wants to give somebody a shot, and they don't take that shot. Now He's calling us to a different situation. That may be exactly what we're dealing with here. Uh, we need to have updates on that. And along the lines of what uh, what Lee is saying here. God does not call us to a situation where there is senseless suffering. There are times when God calls us to a place where we're making a sacrifice. That's that's a thing. But God doesn't call us to a place of senseless suffering. That's what abuse is, yeah. is, is when there's just suffering and there's no, uh, no, no real uh, goodness brought out of that. Uh, the other thing that you were talking about that I wanted to bring out is uh, you're, it, it sounds like you're living with them. Uh, was. Was, okay. And, you know, wondering, uh, do I need to, um, you know, move on and find other living thing, uh, living situations and, and job stuff, et cetera. Uh, it, it's sort of making, uh, do I change the plan off of what the Lord is calling me to do, off the original thing I was trying to do here? Here's the thing is... Uh, we want to encourage you to plan based on the worst-case scenario. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're going to have hope for the best, and I think lots of good things can come out of this. We, we, we're we presenting to you that this is a tough situation and uh, trying to uh, prepare you for the, the, the negative possibilities. Uh, uh, but we want you to have hope that this will will find another gear, that things can change and all that, but the plan needs to be based on the worst-case scenario. And in this case, I think uh, that would be altogether warranted. You've yeah. got st- stuff here that is so bad and at such an extreme that it needs to be based on, okay, I assume this is going to be this from now on. Yeah. And based on that, here's what I need to do. That's a smart way to play this. And that gets us into the final point I want to make, which is that I think it's important for us to look at if uh, uh, we, we see people in tough situations that uh, that go moment by moment, uh, that is, they they don't look at the big picture of things, and they develop an attitude of, well, I could always put up with more. Yeah. Here's uh, the thing. No, you can't. Here's the thing. You can't. You said what you said because you can't put up with any more. Yeah. You are at your limits now. You can uh, gather yourself up and uh, go on a mountaintop and just get really zen and one with the Holy Spirit and whatever. Come down from the mountaintop. This woman would have you past your limits in a week, if that long. Okay? Uh, You've made it further than anyone on this podcast would have made with this situation. (laughs) I feel absolutely certain of that. So, uh, uh, but the the mentality, if I can keep sucking this up forever, uh, forever, that's not not possible. And here's the thing is when we're doing counseling type stuff, that's one of the first things we look for is, is this a a not a non-sustainable situation? Uh, are, you know, yes, you can make short-term sacrifices. Yes, you can put up 
with uh, abusive or extremely negative things in the short run. That's true. And sometimes there's a good reason for that. As, as Jeb was pointing out, sometimes people are just going through something and we need to be a little patient with them until they come back to their senses and what have you. That's not what this is. We are way past that, y'all. There's no, the idea of I can put up with more is over. We've Let's cancel that. Because here's the thing, and I think it all boils down to this. What your grandmother's doing, you can look at it as meanness. You can look at it as a potential senility. You can look at it as uh, a family dynamic as as we have, of you know, non-confrontational. No one's calling grandma on her nonsense and all of that. You can you can parse this a dozen different ways, but here's what the key thing that she's doing is manipulation. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what this is. Yep, she is holding your grandfather's health hostage, so she can do this. Yeah. If you, if if your grandfather wasn't sick, you wouldn't put up with her this long. Yeah. She knows that. Oh yeah. Uh, therefore, she doesn't have any interest in Grandpa getting better. She doesn't have any interest in you being happy with a situation where you're taking care of Grandpa. So she's going to keep making this situation worse on purpose. Yeah. So uh, each thing that we do to try and make it feel better and do better and work better, she's going to be working against that with some intentionality. If you show in your attitude, in your demeanor, the kind of guilt that you're expressing to us, if you show that to her, that's a signal, dial this up to 10 and pull the knob off. That's blood in the water. Yeah, that's the last thing you do, is is show a regret or self-doubt or whatever, because that's what all of this is, is the manipulation move, as as Lee is pointing out, and rightly so, where's your parents in this, where's the rest of the family, where's grandpa in this, how is it that you're the only person saying these things? I know what you feel like is, well, I'm the only one seeing it, and other people don't see it, so they don't know to confront it. They can take a description from you and yeah. work out what's happening here. This is not an impossible thing to get one's mind around. We've got our mind around it. We haven't seen any of it. So that's, that excuse goes out the window. But it's the idea that if she's stuck in that point of manipulation, uh, what she's doing is uh, playing the rest of this family in such a way that she gets to continue to do what it is that she's doing. It's the only way to deal with that is to disengage from that person and their behavior. I'm not going to play into what's going on here. So I think you've done the exact right thing, as, as unpleasant as it has been. You're actually taking steps in the right direction for this thing to get better. Absolutely right. We want to thank our friend for writing in. We Again, we wanted to dedicate a good chunk of this episode to this situation, A, because it's, there's a lot going on there. We want to make sure that the person who wrote in got a lot of good uh, wisdom on their stuff, but B, because when you go this deep into something, you're all everybody's going to find something that's universally applicable. Everybody's got family, work, church, something yeah. where someone's gone crazy, they need to draw a boundary, or they're trying to do that, and it's not going well. There's a lot to be learned from this situation. We hope you got a lot out of it. We also want to thank Zach Bolin of Citizens and Saints one more Woo. time for taking the time to join us. Amir Dimley comes out September 16th. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're taking the song this week. This is a, a classic Jed Brewer, Bridge Worship song, a song called Greater Is He. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Just remember, we, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, it's a rock block of Jesusness. When I make a bad choice, well, I don't have to make ten more. If Jesus won't get.
Yeah.